Hey, good morning. morning. Hey, if you are new, I'm Charlie Lofton, the the lead pastor here, and just incredibly happy that all of you are here, especially if you're new. And if you're new, we'd love to know that you are here. Fill out a connection card, come out to our connect desk, meet some people. We just love to know that you are here. Anyway, we can help you, serve you. Please, please let us know. We are starting a new series today, but before that, I just kind of give a quick kind of financial business update, which I just kind of do every couple of months. It's kind of our, we got the most uh, people here. It's probably just the easiest, simplest time to do it. A lot of you know that we were trying to raise $80,000 in a small capital campaign this fall uh, for uh, some, to replace some uh, damaged sound equipment to kind of do a refresh in our Grove Kids space and to, uh, for our missions giving. And I announced this a few weeks ago. We were able to do that, which was just an incredible blessing to be able to raise that money. And so thankful for all of you who participated. Um, We've had our new soundboard back there for a few weeks now. It has been great to just kind of have everything kind of operating normally again. So thank you for that. I don't know if you've been back in Grove Kids, but they've already started some painting. There's a lot of boxes outside my office now. I just confirmed with... Caitlin, that those are some really cool things for our kids. So you're just going to (coughs) see some really cool transformation happen there over the next uh, few weeks and excited about that, just kind of loving and investing in our kids. And then with this missions uh, money we've had, we've already had some great opportunities to invest in the call, uh, the foster care ministry to give them a large gift that they needed um, to uh, Mark, we're able to really support Mark in a trip that he did to Thailand to kind of do some missions training and to interact with some of our missionaries that we sent, which was really good. Another family, uh, a father and his son, went on, were on a trip in Egypt. We're able to support them. Several of the missionaries we support just kind of put in end of the year, hey, our finances are struggling. We need to raise some extra support kind of deal. We were able to bless them as well. And all of this is possible Uh, because of what you guys did. And so I get to be on the front lines of that, receiving a lot of these requests and kind of interacting. And so I get get to, I just make sure that that blessing uh, that you get to be a part of it too, that you get to share in the ways that you guys through your finances are really having impact in our community and all over the world. So thanks again for your participation in that capital campaign. And in addition to that, um, we had two kind of big annual gifts that tend to come around the fall and late fall, and they were is great, incredibly generous, and took us from uh, being about forty five thousand dollars down behind in our budget giving to like over twenty five thousand dollars ahead. Which for me, that's just a huge. Uh, it's just a whew, just take a big, take a big deep breath. It's just great to be in the black as far as giving versus. Uh, what we what we need, and it's just great. Appreciate that. And our budget year kind of goes from July to June, so we've got some really good breathing room there. And just want you to be excited about that because one of the things we've talked about, and I don't necessarily want to go all the way into it again, is that probably when our lease expires here in the next you know four or five years, it's probably our last run here in this spot because of some change in ownership of the building. Again, I don't necessarily want to get into all the details of that again right now. But we are looking ahead to what God has for us next. And one of the things that absolutely needed to happen was kind of some stability in our, our financial giving and our resources. And we're starting to see that happen, which is a huge blessing. And now we're kind of looking, continuing to look to kind of what's next. And I say this not in a negative way, but in a very positive way. Because whatever 
hap- is going to happen to us next. We, we are probably two or three, we need, we're going to need two or three really cool God miracles to happen between now and then. And so I just ask you to be praying for that, that at just the right time, God will show up and reveal kind of some things, help us in some ways. I'm not saying, again, don't hear me say, man, he got up there today and said, the only way we're going to be able to go forward, God, we're going to need a miracle. It's not like that. God is a miracle God, and he's, I mean, it, was, it was a really miraculous how we got in here. Several God moments got us here, and so it's not, it's not, it's not a fear-based thing. It's that we need this. And so just encourage your prayers to kind of as we just continue to kind of take steps towards next and just, again, really excited and thankful for what has happened so far this uh, fiscal year since July. All right, so we are starting this new, new series, <coughs> and we are calling it Reconstruction. And the idea behind it is there's this phenomenon that's been happening for a while, probably at least for the last 20 years in Christian circles, called Deconstruction. And what deconstruction has kind of come to mint in that circle is kind of I had this faith that I grew up with that I had something happens and then I start thinking, I'm not sure I believe this anymore. And you start deconstructing your faith to perhaps rebuild something. Now, I just get, maybe no one in this room cares but me, okay? And so give me 30 seconds of nerd time and then we can go back on. Deconstruction as a philosophy, really what that is about is whether or not words in ancient texts hold their meaning over time, or do we like, I go to this text, it's like, well, that, this is what that word meant then, but now it means this to us, and so what it really means now is this, because this is what this word means, or does the word have a fixed meaning over time? You may think, bro, it's too much, and I said, again, little nerd, that's not what we're talking about today, so you can be thankful about that. If you want to talk to me about that sometime, we can, um, but... It really kind of has this more pop culture definition as opposed to true deconstructionism of just this idea of like, again, imagining your faith as a house. And maybe, that, maybe I inherited this house. Maybe somebody told me this is what my house was. And something happens where you begin to lose confidence and faith in the house. And so you... This wall doesn't seem right. It's, 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 got, it's got some damage to it. So you, so you take it out and then all of a sudden the roof falls in. Or it's like, hey, I don't believe. Like, again, and people are kind of brick by brick, wall by wall, kind of dismantling what they believe. And I don't know if you've had any experience in this, but I've had enough conversations with enough people from the Grove to know that this is actually a pretty fairly common thing for people to feel. Where... There's some defining incident where you really start to ask, maybe for the first time, these kind of next level questions around what do I believe? Not was I, what was I taught to believe? What am I supposed to believe? What do they say I should believe? But what is real to me? And very often these kind of defining events, I mean, they, 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 there's a lot of different ways. I mean, for some people, it really can be around some sort of social issue something around the way the church responds to racism, the way that the church's opinion, the church I grew up in, what it used to say about the differences between men and women, or maybe what the church says about LGBT issues. Very often it can be kind of a social issue where what my church believes and what I'm coming to believe personally, they come into huge conflict Maybe it's some sort of disillusionment with church in general 
or your church in particular. And I've told stories like this. If you've been around, I don't want to, I'm going to so just keep telling the same stories over again, but I also don't want people in here to not have no idea what I'm talking about. I was in a very conservative church in Southern Arkansas and they, we yelled a lot. We yelled a lot about, we, got, we were angry at a lot of people. And mostly at each other, but like a lot of different people, like, like if you didn't hold the Bible right, you flipped your pages too fast, you'd get yelled at, and just a lot of, a lot of anger. They had these things called business meetings, where some of the worst things I've ever heard people say to one another were happening in this kind of church context. And you're like, something about this is not right. And I remember growing up kind of believing that <coughs> there was us in our denomination, and we were, we were smart and right, and if, and if you weren't in our little tradition, there was something wrong with you. And if you were wrong, you're probably bad. And I remember going to this thing called governor school in between junior and senior year of high school, and I met a, a lot of different people from a lot of different denominations. They, they, didn't, they seemed kind of nice, maybe even nicer than these people at the church. They may want to be friends with them. And, and, and it can be just kind of this thing where it's like, that's just enough. And you start to ask the question, if they're lying to me about this, what else are they lying to me about? Or maybe you grew up in a faith tradition that told you that if you followed all the rules and did all the things right, your life would be prosperous in some way. Financially, personally, you would experience nothing but good times. And then life hits you and you're like, again, it's like what I was told life was going to be, what I was told, it, it's not. <clears throat> and there's something there's something that for a lot of us has caused us to, to deconstruct, to dismantle the things that, you know, are the kind of the foundational principles of Christianity or the things that I was taught growing up in church. And again, I experienced this phenomenon over and over again. And I've had so many different kinds of conversations as people are just kind of wrestling with these kinds of things. And I think when Mark and I were talking about this, I just think it's important for us maybe to have this conversation just a little bit publicly, as opposed to just all the individual conversation, a public conversation about like what, what causes this in us and if we're going to rebuild something. And I want to rebuild a genuine, authentic faith. And I want it to belong to me and I want it to be what, 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 what God says. I want it to be what the Bible clearly teaches. I don't want it to be have all this other stuff in it <clears throat> what is the essence? What should I be rebuilding this house on? And so, then I asked the question, kind of, what, so what's the foundational plank? So we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about it. Kind of, I think it's kind of really three foundational pieces, essential ideas that if we're going to rebuild, or maybe for some of us, build for the first time a real genuine, authentic, personal faith, what are these things we should build on? And what I think the most foundational one is, and there may be some disagreement about this, the most foundational one is this, is that God is good and he loves you. God is good and he loves you. Now, some people might say, like if you imagine somebody kind of wandering from the faith or saying, I'm not sure I believe all that anymore. Like the thing that we want to say to them is like, you know you're a sinner, right? You better be careful over there, you know, and, and some sort of just kind of like this. And again, the fact that we are sinners, that's a, that's a real thing. And in fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit next week. 
but it's next week. I don't think that's the first thing. Because <coughs> when we lead, and again, I think this was part of, part of me growing up, when we lead with the anger of God, the judgment of God, we imagine a God who is constantly disappointing in us, who is frustrated with us, who is always thinking bad of us, that I have to appease this God who doesn't particularly care for me, but has some harsh rules that I need to follow. When really, the idea of what sin has done and broken us and broken our world is actually heartbreaking to a God that wants a relationship with us. And that's why I think it's important to build first on the character and nature of who this God is and how we, what he feels about you. Somebody else might say that the foundational plank is Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Now what I would say to that is, I would say that is definitely the most important of the ones. But there's so much in that. Jesus Christ died on the cross for sins. What is sin? Why did Jesus have to come? What does the death have even to do with it? What, died for what? What does that mean it is perhaps the most important of the planks of Christian faith, but for us to even really understand the depth and, and, and the reason behind what Jesus Christ really did, I think these other couple of planks, we need to make sure that we understand them first. And so we're going to start with this idea again, God loves you. God is good and he loves you. And to prove my point, of why I think this is the first thing that we need to fully understand, we're going to go to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, right? It's the first thing that's in there, right? Genesis chapter 1, the story of creation. And I think it's of incredible importance for you to know and understand who this was written for. Because this was written for the people who were coming out of Egypt during Exodus. People who had been slaves, had been slaves for generations and generations and have now finally been rescued by God as God's people and taken into the land that God has promised them. And after generations of what feels like isolation from God, feeling abandoned by God, not understanding who he really is and experiencing all these things like, God is, he's reintroducing himself to, to them. Hey, I, I need you to, to remember who I am. I need you to understand. And as he's communicating to them, this is where he starts. I want you to, if, for you to understand who I am and the kind of relationship that I want to have with you as you are discouraged, as you are overwhelmed, as you feel put upon, as you feel abandoned, as you feel hopeless, and you're confused about who I am and what I want for you. This is the story that I want you to hear first. So we're going to look here at this story of Genesis chapter 1. Very often, what we do when we talk about this is like, well, I mean, how does this, how does this align with science? And do you think that, Charlie, do you believe that it was six literal days in which God created the world? Like, I would love to have that conversation with you. I can talk, I can talk about that all day long. But when we put all of our energy and focus there, we lose sight of why did God tell this story to those people? What was it that they needed to hear? Because if we can hear what they needed to hear, we will hear, I believe, what we also need to hear. Because we are not too dissimilar as those of us who are, who are struggling, whose life has gotten the best of us, who have been hurt in some way or feel abandoned or isolated, what he's got to say here to them, I think, can, can, can really be important and powerful in our hearts as well. All right? 
So we'll go right here at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, <coughs> verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is really weird. It's really weird if you think about it. Because technically God hasn't said anything yet. He hasn't created anything yet as far as what we understand. We haven't had, you know, the, what, what's about to come. We search, but there's something there and it's described as formless, empty, and dark. And so there's something but nothing there. And it describes the Spirit of God as hovering over it. This emptiness, this darkness, this void. I'll use this word. It's chaos. Some sort of chaotic nothingness. And in this chaos, the image that God's Spirit is hovering right over it. So from the very beginning, before we even really get into the details of what and how God created, we have this picture. And I believe this picture is a picture of God <coughs> that he brings order. He brings order to the chaos. He looks, and there, 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 there's a chaotic situation and God's presence is right there. And again, Think about what these people ex exiting slavery, trying to reconnect with this God. Their life was nothing but chaos, emptiness, darkness. And what God is saying is like, I, I was present. I was hovering over that with you the whole time. This is who I am. I am a God who hovers over the chaos. And I want to bring order to it. I want to rescue this. I want, I, want to, I want to create something out of it. This is who they were. They, they were the chaos. And I'm going to create something in you. And I want you to see me. And I want you to know. I want you to know I was always there. And now as I'm bringing you out of this, I want you to know that my presence is still there. And I was thinking about all week and I was trying to come up with some sort of illustration or whatever that kind of helps all this make sense. I think about the way that God is kind of demonstrating himself here. I, I, just, I, just, I, just, I, just, I just couldn't help but just think about my wife Heidi and the kind of mom that she is. And we've got three daughters and they are now 25, 22, and 11. So I've had a, an opportunity to see her be an incredible mom for a lot of different seasons of life. And I just think of this, my, 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 she is a hoverer over chaos. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what the chaos is and how it came by. Like your room, sometimes your room is the chaos. And I tell you, I'm going to hover. So you're going to see the chaos and you'll be like, well, what is this? <laughs> right? Maybe you don't want her there. But I'm telling you, you want her there. No one can put your room back together faster and better than Heidi Lofton. And so it's not just that she's over there going, this is chaos. She's a, she brings order to it. But beyond just that, for our kids when they were small, I see it now in the way that she interacts with our adult daughters. And this will happen. This will happen a couple of times a week. Well, we've got Layla down for bed and we're watching a TV show. And it'll happen. I just like, Her phone will ring. We're watching something. I'll immediately pause it. I'll put it down. 
Because I know what's about to happen is there's some chaos. There's some chaos. There's some emotional something. There's something that's going on with one of my adult daughters. And they need someone to make sense of it. They need someone to kind of help me understand, help me process this. And maybe it's just 30 seconds of just one or two encouraging words from mom. Or maybe this is about to, maybe we're done for the night. Turn the TV off, pull out a game on your phone. And, and, but she's going to be there the whole time. Whatever it takes, whatever I need to give you to understand that I want you to have hope in this. I want you to have life in this. I'm, I'm present there with you in it. And I want there to be order and life there. And this is how God is describing himself in this creation story. This is what he is wanting these former slaves to hear. And whatever the chaos and the hurt and the misunderstanding and the formlessness and the darkness that you are experiencing in your life, I hope that you know that a good God hovers there with you to bring order to the chaos. Then in verse 3, we kind of get his first words, first things he says. Verse 3, chapter 1, Genesis. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. This is, I guess if we go, I guess, I guess this is the second image that we now have in the Bible. It's the second one, the image we have of, of, of God bringing light to something. But if you read the Bible cover to cover, it is one of the most prevalent ones that God puts in there. It is the way that Jesus is described as bringing a light in the darkness, the light of the world. It is the charge that Jesus gives to each one of us. Hey, I am the light of the world. Hey, guess what? You're the light of the world. You are called to bring light to dark places. It is an image cover to cover that, that God uses of being one who brings light to darkness. So not only does he bring order to chaos, we see that God is bringing light to darkness. He brings light to dark places where there was darkness and in the darkness, what is there? There's hopelessness, there's confusion, there's uncertainty, there's lostness. And God brings light. This is the first thing, the first thing that he saw, first thing he's so to do is he's trying to bring order to this chaos. The first thing he says, we, this place needs light. I want you to have light. And again, just like the order to chaos, this can be a good thing or a bad thing. Whether if you are in the darkness and someone comes in and turns on the light, that's a good thing or a bad thing, right? Depending on what you're doing, what you are doing in the dark, and who you want to see what you're doing in the dark, right? And, and so often that's what we think about. And again, I think about, again, our kids. And there is a, a, a definitive moment. Trying to put, we've been trying to put kids to bed for 25 plus years, right? Trying to put kids to bed. And um, you, know, you put them in bed, and a certain number of minutes later, you're, you hear a ruckus. There's some sort of something going on there. And there was a time we were in seminary when our oldest two were, they, they shared a bedroom, but at the time, uh, they were, uh, they were uh, one and three and a half. And I'm telling you, there were, there were full-on parties that happened in there. Like, we put them to bed one time, and we have no idea. I'm like, what, what is going on there? And Lauren, who is not even one, she's, stand, she's not one yet. She's a baby. She's standing up in her crib, and she's, she's got a hold of the side, and she's, and she's doing like this. And her three-year-old sister's going, go, Lauren, go, Lauren. And it's just like a full-blown party in there, right? 
They, you know, they, they, and, all, and all we did by turning on the light, we just, we, we, it, was not, it was not welcome, right? I mean, we, you're interrupting the party here. But most times, right, the light, you, you got a kid with a nightlight, the light goes out and there's thunder. Something happens. It's that fear, that sort of darkness. That's what, that, that's what this metaphor is. This is not the metaphor of you're being exposed in some bad way. The metaphor here is I'm alone. I can't see. I don't, I don't know what is. And God comes and he brings light. I can see. I now have, I now have, I now have a hope. I, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. The thing, there, there, there was a scariness of the unknown of it and the presence and the light and the hope of God shows up. And so some of us are or have walked through some very dark times. And, very, and for some of us, these dark times can kind of be the, the trigger to the, to the deconstructing. And I'm sure, again, just think about it. Think about what it was like to have been in generations of slavery and how dark that was. And God steps in and brings light. And as they are confused and a little disoriented, again, as God is telling them the story, this is who I have always been. I am the one that brings light to your darkness, to bring hope in your most hopeless moments. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the, the details of the, of the story, but in the first three days, you've kind of, you kind of got this, God says, let there be light. And he kind of, he kind of creates this space. It doesn't say he created the sun or, or stars or anything like that. Just let there be light. And then, and then in day two, we kind of are separating water, all these water here and the sky. We're creating sky and waters and in the day three, we're kind of creating land and separating the land from the water. He's creating all of these spaces in the first three days. We've got outer space that supposedly has light, but no particular lights. We've got, we've got sky, but nothing in it. We've got water, but nothing in it. We've got land, but nothing on it. So we've got these spaces that he creates. And then in days four, five, and six, we have this. And I'll just kind of give you the highlights here. Um, in Genesis chapter 1 from days 4, 5, and 6. <clears throat> and God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Since you're describing the sun and the moon, we're going to create these things. They're going to be lights and they're going to be signals, not just of light, but also just kind of help you, to help you be oriented about days and nights and years and these kinds of things. Verse 20, day 5. Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. Verse 24, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. <coughs> so we have here, we have this, empty, we have this emptiness of space. 
and God places lights in there. We've got, we've got this water and he fills it with living creatures. We've got the sky and he fills it with these birds and he's got this, this land and he fills it with creatures. And this incredible parallel from these spaces that he creates in the first three days that he fills in the second three days. And again, in this image of what God is describing himself as, as the creator, as the overseer, as the, as the Lord of this universe, he's describing himself as a God who fills, he fills emptiness. He takes places that are empty and he fills them. He fills them with life. This place that was dead, that had nothing, that was just empty. He takes and he fills it with life. He takes outer space and fills it with all of these lights. He puts life in the sea. He puts life in the sky. He puts life on the ground. He sees emptiness and fills it with life. This is who God is. A God (coughs) who sees you in your chaos, who sees you being disoriented. He sees the emptiness and he hovers there with you. And he wants to bring order to it. And he wants to bring light to it. He wants to fill it full of life. At your worst moments, these are not the moments that we walk away from God. These are not the moments in which we turn and say, well, God must not be real. These are the moments when God has his greatest opportunity to shine in your life. Now, you may have some questions, and these are really good questions. If God is so good and he wants all of this for me, then why had the world gone bad in the first place? It would have been simpler for them to have never not gone to Egypt at all. It would be simpler and easier for this thing to have never happened to me. A good God would not let this happen. The world is more broken than the naivete and the simplicity of what you're saying. And I promise you, we will address that as fully as I feel like we can next week. And I want us to understand why we even need this, why we live in a world that has all of this emptiness in it in the first place. But I want you to understand that in this moment of creation, this is who God is declaring himself to be. He knows that this is what the world is going to become. And he knows for these people who are coming out of Egypt, he knows what that is for them. This is what this world is to them. And he wants them to know and he wants you to know. I will always be there hovering over the most chaotic moments of your life. And I want you to have life. I want you to have light. And I want to fill the empty spots in your life with real life. (coughs) And he ends that sixth creation day by saying this. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. He made you. He made you in his image. He made you in his image. You are different than the dirt, than the water, than the sky. You are different than the fish, the bird, and the animals that walk on the... You are different. You are special and unique. All of these things he created, he said that they were good. 
And then he created people and, he, and, and they were different in his image, in his likeness. You're like him. You are a reflection of him. And in fact, what it says here is that everything else he created was a gift that he gave to you. You are special in the eyes and the heart and the mind of the God of the universe. You are not a series of randomness. You are not the same as the rest of things that are created. You are unique in the heart of God. Who did he say this to first? He said this to people who their whole lives had only felt like property. The Egyptian warlords probably treated their animals better than this. They certainly treated their homes and their possessions better than this. They felt nothing but less than. And God says, you were never less than. You were always my most prized possession my most special creation created as a reflection of me. You are special to me in a way that nothing else in this world is. And I desperately want you to know that. And our lives and our situation not being as severe as this, but if we're just gonna be honest, there's been times it's felt that way. There's times that we felt less than, we felt like, We didn't matter. Somehow, other property, pointless. And again, it is in these moments that God is crawling out to them and he's calling out to you, take a step towards me. I see it. I need you to know what you believe is not real. And the emptiness that you feel, I want to fill it. The darkness that you're experiencing, I want to give light. The chaos that you're going through, I want to bring order. Because this is who God is. And this is how God feels about you. For five days, creation was good. He created you, it was very good. You have a unique place in the heart of God. And it is an overwhelmingly powerful picture here of a God who has so much power that through his words, what we would call existence comes into existence. Anything that is comes into existence by the power of this God's words. He looks at you and says, you though are special to me. A God that big, a God that powerful looks at you individually, specifically, you matter to me. You're special to me. And again, there's lots of things in our past, lots of wrong things that we can have in our head about who God is, about what life is supposed to be, about what church is, about what it means to be a Christian, about what it means to be a good person. Lots of bad things that we can have in our head that can get something in our head that somehow God looks at me with disfavor. That somehow, that even even in our worst moments, God is looking at you saying, I want you back. And we'll talk about this, the sacrifice that God makes in order to get you back to him after what we did to the world. God is good. 
and he loves you. Hear me say that the right way. God is good and he loves us. God is good and he loves you. Now let's take some time. Let's let's take some time right now and really reflect on that. Have some great time to worship. Worship is kind of geared around this idea, the goodness and the greatness of God. And as you worship, just reflect on that. Let it sink in deeply. Go back there and pray. You do the prayer candles or at the cross, people to pray with you. Take communion. Have some time to reflect and really let it, let it really sink in with you. This foundational piece to what needs to be your life and especially the life of your faith, that there is a good God that loves you. Let's pray. God, I just pray it will be true. And I know it's true. But I just pray that it would be true in the deepest parts of our heart and our soul. That it would not just be church true, preacher true, Bible true. But as I think about who I am and my life, in my relationship with you. That in the deepest parts of who I am, I would know that you love me and that you are good. And God, as I process all of the the hurt and the sin and the brokenness of this world, that I won't lose sight of that. But God, that I would step closer to you and that would lead me to a deeper and fuller understanding of who your son Jesus Christ is and why he came and why he died and the life that I can have with you through him. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.